0: This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit FilmGeekRadio.com for more great shows.
1: I'm not joking. I kill people.
0: I exactly the a type,
1: for Lately, there are these moments when I feel connected to something else. Would you please stop doing that? Then stop saying stupid things. Talk about your bloodbath. <laughs>
2: Greetings, sociopaths. Welcome to Avenging Angels here on Film Geek Radio. This is our podcast devoted exclusively to the eighth and final season of the Showtime series, Dexter. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined by my dark passenger, Charlie Nash.
0: Hey, Andrew. How are you doing, Charlie? Oh, my head hurts. My sister just grabbed the wheel and we swerved off the road and drove into a lake. Oh, no. Are you okay? I guess so. Just kind of got out of this situation, though, so I don't really know what I'm doing. That seems like a really random thing to happen to you. It was very random.
3: (laughs) Did a stranger who just happened to be there dive in there and save you, or did your sister dive back in and save you?
0: You know, it's really weird that you should mention that. Uh, The stranger tried to save my sister and successfully did, and then didn't bother to come back for me. So, uh... It kind of hurt my feelings. I mean, my sister, thank God, was nice enough to save me, even though she was the one who drove us off the road in the first place. But this stranger just disappeared, and it was kind of a bizarre occurrence. Wow, Charlie, you have a really strange life i really do i i think i need to should start going to therapy i hear that dr vogel woman is uh kind of kind of helpful so
2: <laughs> all right well this is episode number five of avenging angels focused on the fourth episode of season eight of dexter the episode is titled scar tissue it was written by tim schlottman and directed by stefan schwartz uh, before we dive into things, I'm privileged to introduce a special guest. She is a co host of the podcast, The Dexter Cast, and I'm sure she knows a lot more about the show. Than we do at times. Rachel Hughes, welcome to the show. Uh, You're probably wrong about that assumption. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about the Dexter Cast. Thank you so
3: much for inviting me on this episode. Um, the Dexter Cast is an intro cast for those of you not familiar with that format. It is a podcast whereby one or two veteran viewers of a show co host with two or more uh, hosts who have never seen the show. And we sort of guide them through it, and it's non-spoilery, but we also do the, since uh, it's unusual to do this for a series that is still in production, because one of the benefits of being a veteran and guiding newbies is that you know how all the pieces fit into the overall picture. Also, these, these Season 8 episodes are difficult for Bob, my other veteran co-hosts to talk about, and we also rate them because, you know, they're ongoing plot points, and it's a little baffling so far, and I always feel strange about rating the episode because some of the plot points that don't make sense at the time, I I hope at least will eventually. They're like puzzle pieces or pieces of a mosaic that hopefully will fit in and make sense, like a final picture kind of sense at the end. Tonight's episode, though, kind of threw that hypothesis off a little bit, or maybe not. I don't know.
2: Yeah, it was a weird episode, and and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Before we really dive into things, though, I have some feedback to read. Charlie, we got a comment on our last episode from someone named Alex. This person wanted to set the record straight with us on a few things. So here's what Alex writes. He says, The restaurant happened in Season 6, Episode 1. And yes, it was established that it got put up on the internet. The large amount of attention it received is partly what got Deborah the lieutenant position. Bigger issue, you guys didn't follow the conversation between Quinn and Deborah in the briefing room at all. LaGuerta was shot twice. The first bullet from Deb's gun went through and was never recovered. The second bullet stayed in the body and was matched to Estrada's gun. Sorry to shame, but if the two of you are going to spend as much time as you did this episode whining about plot holes, you'd better start paying attention to the show to make sure they actually exist. So Alex set us straight. Yes. Thank you,
0: Alex. Yes, thank you, Alex. I, I sincerely apologize for uh, being not as thorough with my research as I thought I was being. So yeah, I appreciate that. And season six is just a blur in my memory. So I apologize for forgetting that plot point as well.
2: Yes, as we always have to point out, Charlie and I have only seen each episode of the show once, and we've been following it from the beginning so it has been years in some situations since we encountered some of this plot stuff so we we will be fuzzy on some of the details a lot of the time but we are grateful that we have listeners like alex who can write in and remind us of what actually happened so charlie yes that is the explanation we have for what happened with the shooting of La guerta and the gun apparently the bullet from deb's gun was never recovered and the second bullet was what was matched to Estrada's gun.
0: Okay, that
2: makes a lot more sense. I still have to suspend my belief a little bit? Me too. I'm wondering, like, wait, did they hide the bullet from Deb's gun, or did it just magically vanish? But okay, I'll go with it.
3: You do see that bullet, I'm assuming it's a bullet hole, but you do see that hole in the shipping container, where we have a little light shining through right there, where La the Guerta was shot, so I'm assuming that the bullet pierced that, or Dexter made it happen somehow. And the bullet flew out of the shipping container, and that's how it was not recovered. Because it would be very odd if they couldn't recover a shell and a bullet inside the shipping container. So that's what I assumed.
2: Okay. Yeah, that's a good assumption. So you're saying the bullet just went straight through the container?
3: Uh, Somehow.
2: Hey, I, I I'll go with it. I can believe it. Yeah, me
0: too.
3: One of my co-hosts, Janice, is a an extremely rational person who clings to the the notion that Dexter is grounded in firm reality. So she takes issue with uh, a lot of the what I call fantastical elements of the show. And I've tried so many times to convince her, like if you can accept the basic premise of the show, that. The serial killer who has been killing for 20-odd years works in the Homicide Department, and, you know, it's told from his perspective, also. The Dexter universe is not our universe. Yeah. You know, whether you Mm -hmm. want to think about magical realism or just accept the fact that it's—clearly it's not. I also think that the police procedural part of it is a parody of police procedurals. And maybe that's me being an apologist or just trying to explain away the ineptitude of Miami Metro PD, but I do firmly believe that, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is definitely set in some sort of alternate universe where the Miami law enforcement is just really awful at their jobs. Pretty
3: much anyone who would be able to catch Dexter is fairly inept or blind or in denial, so...
2: Yes, this is, this is definitely a show... In which reality is constantly overridden, not by God, but by network executives at Showtime who who want to make sure (laughs) that they can stretch this out for, uh, for eight seasons. So... That frequently gets in the way of things.
3: I tend to overlook a lot of the problems that people have with uh, the realism of it and continuity. And I'm, I mean, I'm far more interested in the characters and the journeys. And, and uh, that sounds like hogwash to to some people, <laughs> especially those who have watched Lost and are disappointed with Lost. But uh, I'm much more interested in in the characters. And as long as the writing is good and the direct the direction is interesting and innovative, which for the most part it it has, with some missteps, then, you know, I do like the show. I don't think it's the greatest show on television by far, but it's an enjoyable show, and it's interesting. And, and, you know, I watch it for Michael C. Hall also. If Michael C. Hall were not in this show, I don't know for sure that I would watch it, because I think he does a lot to elevate some of the ridiculous material that he has to deal with.
2: Well, you brought up Lost. We can only hope that this season doesn't end with dexter discovering the magical heart of the city and how it makes everything work and who knows maybe uh the ending will take place in a church and like everyone who's died will suddenly be there and it'll just be this (laughs) really (laughs) magical thing
3: (laughs) i also host on a a lost intro cast for newbies too so i will have to let them know to, to skip that part
2: Oh, let's not let's not even get started on Lost. That is a show that – Lost could quite possibly have the worst final season of a show I've ever seen.
3: I agree with you on that, but I, I, I don't have issues with the ending.
2: All right. Well, let's talk about this episode, Scar Tissue. Charlie, why don't you go ahead and give a quick recap of this episode?
0: So this week's episode takes place the week after last week's episode – It starts off with Deb basically being put through therapy by Dr. Vogel to get over her guilt of shooting LaGuerta and come to terms with the fact that she is a good person. Vogel is uh, determined to convince her that she did the right thing. Dexter and Vogel have also uh, gotten onto the trail of one of her former patients named A.J. Yates who also has a scar on the back of his head, and it is later revealed that Vogel had doctors at a hospital remove part of his brain that she felt might be responsible for his psychopathic tendencies, and it is highly implied that this guy may actually be the brain surgeon. There's also a lot of subplots in this episode. One of which features Masuka and um, his possible daughter that is responsible for his uh, from his sperm donations in college. Jamie and Quinn are also still fighting about Deb. Jamie also has a new friend that is briefly introduced, who it is hinted at may be a possible love interest for Dexter, although she just appears for a scene and is gone. And uh, Quinn has passed the sergeant's exam. But the chief of Miami PD wants uh, Batista to consider Angie for the spot instead, considering that she actually scored higher and he still is a little unsure about Quinn overall. Deb finds out that Harry killed himself after uh, Vogel shows her uh, some of the tapes that she recorded with Harry in the past. And her realization that Harry has committed suicide makes her question whether she should have to deal with Dexter being a monster if Harry couldn't handle it himself. And in an attempt to commit suicide with Dexter, they go for a drive. She grabs hold of the wheel. They swerve off into a lake. A man comes in and rescues Deb from the car sinking into the water. Dexter's still in there, though. She goes, she dives down, saves Dexter, and the episode cuts to credits.
2: Wow, Charlie, that sounds remarkably close to what happened to you this week. I know. I know it's really bizarre (laughs) (laughs) alright well before we dive into things here is a clip thank you how is she
1: will you still remain the focal point of your sister's pain I want to see her I think it's better you continue to keep your distance for now it's been almost a week Dexter I am still not sure if your sister has hit rock bottom yet what is it i just want you to prepare for the possibility that deborah may never be able to have you back in her life no i won't
2: just let her go okay charlie first off let me ask you what did
0: you think of this episode overall this episode frustrated the hell out of me i have to be honest I think it's definitely the weakest of the four episodes that we've seen so far. I feel like each episode up until this point really built up a good momentum, and this one just felt awkward and tonally jarring, and there were a lot of things they asked us to suspend their disbelief for some things that I didn't fully buy, including that Deb would just fully accept Vogel's therapy after she was so committed to testify last week and i know it takes place a week later and that we have missed a chunk of time but i'm not sure i totally buy that deb would just get better immediately like that and i found there to be a lot of subplots that seem to just be filler for this episode the one where masuka meets this woman who might be his daughter from a sperm donation that he made in college it's kind of bizarre and I don't really know what they're doing with that the, the the new character that's Jamie's friend that they introduce for a scene they just introduce her and she says hi to Dexter and then she leaves and then Jamie's like you know she's single and then they don't really do anything with that it just feels like the show is kind of losing focus and since this is the last season I kind of would have I kind of expected it to be really tight at this point because it just feels to me like they're throwing a ton of stuff at the wall, and they're trying to see what sticks. I I just don't know what the writers are doing, and I'm not sure they know what they're doing. And it just felt like a very bizarre, very awkward episode, in my opinion. And on top of that, the cliffhanger ending, which we will talk about at the end of the episode, I have a lot of problems with. And some things I thought were interesting, and then some things I didn't think worked at all. But yeah, I just don't know what to make of it.
2: Yeah, I think that ending will probably be our, our main topic for this episode. Uh Rachel, do you agree with Charlie? Were you as frustrated by this episode as he was?
3: Oh my goodness. Uh I was completely confused. You know, I was watching it live and so I knew that I wasn't watching an uploaded episode or something where the first fifteen minutes were cut off or something. It just jumped right in to a week later, which that in and of itself really frustrated me. But then it just got progressively odder and odder and bizarre to the point where I was wondering if this was some <laughs> fever dream of Debs until we saw Dexter do- off doing his own thing, which he would not know about. But it was- just seemed so surreal to me. At parts, I was actually thinking, this is the worst episode of Dexter I've ever seen. And Discounting season six, of course, which I haven't, it's the only season that I've never rewatched. Until I guess we get to the end of the series, maybe this will make sense, but where it stands right now, this is one of the, in my opinion, one of the worst episodes, um, at least in recent history. I can't really, there certainly have been episodes that I, I really disliked, but. There were elements of this that I liked, but the elements that just made no sense to me with what we've already established in the show uh, outweighed the positive for me.
2: I agree with both of you. I'm not sure if it's one of the worst episodes of the series as a, a whole, but it's definitely by far the worst episode of this season so far. I agree with you. It's just really confusing. I don't understand why they started a week later. I don't understand everything that's going on with in some ways it feels very redundant it feels very repetitive it kind of feels like a meaningless episode I mean, at at the end of this episode we're just where we left off at the end of the third episode so I'm not really sure why this episode exists and I'm worried that this could be an indication of things to come and that the writers may have figured out how they wanted to begin this season and how they wanted to end the season, but maybe the middle transition period is gonna be rocky. I I'm, I'm hoping this is just one bad episode and that we won't see more like this in the future. But let's talk about specifics. The first thing I want to talk about is Quinn, because Charlie you and I have talked about how they, they really aren't giving the supporting characters a lot to do this season and we've complained about how Quinn has kind of has seemed pretty boring overall this season. Well, thankfully, we won't have to see him study for the sergeant's exam anymore because (laughs) he, he took it and he passed, so... He could now potentially be sergeant. However, he has competition from a person that you and I complained about last week, Charlie, (laughs) Angie Miller. That is her name. The strange black detective that randomly showed up in season seven, apparently, and that I completely forgot about until season eight, has a name. Her name is Angie Miller. And apparently she's a really great detective and could be competition for Quinn. Before you tell me what you thought about that, I want to say that Bob from Dexter Cast, uh, your co-host, Rachel, he emailed me after our last episode to explain, oh, that black detective is named Angie Miller. I'm not sure if they ever named her on the show or if I just saw an interview with her where they revealed her name, but she does have a name. It's Angie Miller, and she's one of several characters, several other detectives that have been... In the background of the show for a long time, he reminded me there's a detective who's been there since the first season, and I don't have his email up in front of me, so I forgot his name. You probably know who I'm talking about, but who has been there from the very beginning and is still around, but just, like, never... Pops up.
3: <laughs> well, they were treated as sort of a running joke, I think, as Ramos and Soderquist.
2: Soderquist, that's who it is. Soderquist,
3: and it, they would mention them every once. They would stand in the background and, you know, be issued assignments. I think at one point in a recent season, Soderquist was actually given a line. I'm not entirely sure. But I don't know if I agree with Bob about Angie Miller fitting that model because... They were never members of this particular squad, you know, this tight unit of four or five detectives. (laughs) So she was brought in to replace Mike Anderson, who was brought in in season... Six? Six, I think. Yes, because that was during the Doomsday Killer plotline. And I had joked that, you know, they had to get rid of him because he... He was the only competent, insightful detective on the force, but he actually left to do another show. So they killed him off in the first episode of season seven and replaced him with Angie Miller, who had a few lines in the beginning, but then she just stood around in the background and that really annoyed me. And then now all of a sudden she's sassying off and uh, she's a contender for the sergeant's position.
2: Well, what did you think about Quinn's storyline in this episode and the fact that Angie is now his competition? I just thought that was odd. <laughs> hey, they're finally trying to give her something to do.
0: Yeah, but they we still don't know who she is or what her, you know, she, we just know that she's sassy. Like, this would be such a, you know, much more intriguing subplot, or it would be much more dramatically compelling if we at least had an idea as to who this character is, apart from the fact that. You know, she's sassy in that, you know, she and Masuka might get together. There's no tension there.
3: I don't know if it was presented as just something for Quinn to do now that he can't interact with Deborah because that seems to be part of Quinn's arc, I'm assuming, for the season. That, uh, you know, he's been set up to be the only person in Deborah's life who can... He's acted as her lifeline and support for her so far. But now with her being roomies with uh, Dr. Vogel, (laughs) then (laughs) she can't interact with him. Jamie has no reason to get jealous. Uh, Well, actually, no, I'm sorry. There was the fight that Quinn got into.
0: Oh, that scene was terrible.
3: And then that gave Jamie, a, or a, should I say the <laughs> the show's creators, a, a reason to show them having sex in Jamie. According to the actress, I think she was on one of the wrap-up podcasts, she said that she was very excited about her character journey this this season. She'd be getting more screen time, and she'd be given a, a great arc. And so I guess her arc is to be naked a lot and be jealous. <laughs> <laughs> and... Oh, she, she said that she she was looking forward to asserting her power via sex. So I guess we saw that with her Quinn saying, Are we okay? We're good now? Yeah, we're good. I'm just going to press down on these wounded ribs of yours and possibly break them to show you that I'm angry with you. It's just,
2: really? Yeah, who who knew that uh, Jamie had this little kind of s and side to her? I guess that's character development. <laughs> It's a
3: great art to show that a woman can, you know, be powerful and assertive.
0: <laughs> yeah. They have literally done nothing with their relationship since the first episode. They have just repeated the same scene over and over and over again. And this might have been the worst example of it this episode, because someone apparently a week later after Deb crashed drunk, some jerk is like, oh, Deborah Morgan drunkenly crashed into, you know... Uh, you know, a pole. She's so stupid. And then, you know, just that. How many times have we seen that? Hey, you shut up. And then, you know, he punches the guy in the face. And like, it just, it just felt so contrived and so stupid and so been there, done that. With, you know, like not only this show, but like, you know, how many times have we seen that in any other TV show or movie? And then, yeah, that weird S and M thing at the end was just bizarre. It it, 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 that scene where she's pressing down on his ribs left me with a reaction that I had to every, uh, just about every scene in this episode, wh- which was, wait, what? Like, wh- what's going on here? I-, I don't understand. You guys, I figured it out. Jamie is actually the big bad,
2: okay? <laughs> She's actually a killer, and we're seeing some of her darker
0: impulses start to play out. Oh, so that's a nice bit of foreshadowing there. Yeah. <laughs> Although that would have been great if she, like, started to grab, like, Quinn's head or something and, like, uh, I, I don't know.
3: <laughs> Took out a little Sharpie and started marking lines on his on his head. Yeah. <laughs> I think the whole thing is set up simply to get Quinn and Deb back together and... Quinn making sergeants to put him in as an obstacle in Dexter's way. I I don't see Quinn surviving the end. Maybe he will. I've always been hoping for some kind of Greek tragedy, like everyone dies. But who knows? I, I think they've set up Deborah and Quinn as in-game, although now it seems to be Dexter and Deb as in-game, whether that's a happy one or a tragic one.
2: Well, speaking of dark impulses and the big bad we discovered this episode that aj yates
0: is apparently the brain surgeon am
2: i the only person who was really disappointed
0: no i was it felt totally anticlimactic and i don't and if he isn't the brain surgeon that's fine but even if this is a red herring it's still like obnoxious i don't know it was just handled so bizarrely and that scene where dexter like broke into his house, and then was like, nobody home, might as well talk on speakerphone. Oh, hey, Vogel, blah, blah, blah. He has all these diagrams and all this crap. I'm like, you know, Dexter, like, I know that you've made mistakes in the past, but, like, you're never this stupid. This is sloppy.
3: (laughs) He has never used speakerphone. The whole thing was so badly done it's so obvious uh, and i don't think he's the brain surgeon i think i remarked maybe not in the podcast but maybe at our group I was like has anyone noticed that the abbreviation because uh, when i take notes for our big bads you know the ice truck killer is itk or trinity killer was tk so when i started taking notes for this you know, brain surgeon was bs <laughs>
2: oh
3: <laughs> i kind of think it is um
2: Do you think that might be an intentional (laughs) nod by the writers of like, yeah, there's something we're not telling you here?
3: Well, I think I said at the beginning of the season that Vogel popping back into Dexter's life at this moment, yes, it's a nice way to reframe Dexter's origin story and explore that. But the whole subplot of... The brain surgeon thing, which is not an ongoing, which boxed the traditional formula of where Miami Metro is chasing after the brain surgeon, and so is Dexter, and he has to beat them. Well, they stopped that in, what, the second episode? Oh, brain surgeon case, case is closed. So it seems to be something set up specifically for Dexter. I really don't know what's going on. If she has been using Dexter to eliminate her past patients, if she's got some kind of hunger game thing set up where they're she's putting <laughs> them all against each other, or if this was all about Dexter and testing him. And Andrew, you posited it. And I don't know if you were serious or if, this was, if you were joking about this, but what if the other serial killers that Dexter has encountered were also patients of Vogel's at one point?
2: Yeah, that was kind of a crazy twist. I was thinking, well, that's really outrageous, but if it happened... It would kind of be cool in a weird way. And in this episode, Dexter discovers that Vogel has actually been keeping notes on him, so maybe he is part of some grander experiment and in his in her notes, he is referred to as subject 0, which sounds really bizarre. You know, like he's some super special psychopath. So, I, yeah, I, I don't I don't know what's going on there, but it was very strange.
0: And why does AJ have her notes on his computer? We never found that out. Like, I mean, like, yeah, obviously that's meant to tease us and get us intrigued, but like... Yeah, I just, I just don't know what to make of that development. I don't know.
3: You know, Dexter just happens to see the secret underground lair because he just happened to leave the lights on downstairs. So he sees the little light beaming. And, oh, he happened to leave all of his surveillance equipment on. And, oh, look, he has the little vials and, you know, all the tools needed to extract brain parts, even though he does not fit the profile of what we would assume the brain surgeon to be, you know, he's he's a shoe fetishist, or those are his trophies. He kidnaps women, which doesn't fit at all. And in vocal replies, well, I told you that I don't think that this person is uh, new to killing, he's experienced. So he's probably experimenting now and changing his methods, which the show itself is established. It's also established in experts on psychopathy is that Serial killers, once once they are established, they rarely change their rituals and their methods. I mean, they experiment in the very beginning to find their way. But so I was surprised that Dexter didn't call her out on that and that Dexter didn't notice. All of this is all too convenient.
2: Yeah, I think my favorite thing was how the woman was stuffed in that box in such a
0: way that would keep her from bleeding out. I was like,
2: well, how convenient. Hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, not to mention that uh, Dexter's like, okay, I gotta go bring her to the emergency room. And I-, I guess no one at the emergency room was like, hey, this woman's been stabbed. Maybe we should uh, look at our security footage of that car and get, uh, you know, see what kind of license plate he has, what uh, you know, type of car he has. Like, I, I don't know, just, like, little things like that just drive me insane, and I know that's nitpicky, but one, an episode like this is so frustrating, I can't help but nitpick stuff like that. It's not nitpicky. Like, structurally, this episode is a mess. Like, we, we've already
2: complained a little bit about how it starts. A week later and here when he finds the girl and then they just skip everything with him taking her to the hospital and stuff and they just it's kind of like we just assume that that's what happened i was just like well why like that's kind of important you know it feels it feels really really awkwardly structured
0: oh and vogel's there now she just happened to show up somehow and they somehow know that he's not going to come home or whatever. It was so bizarre. It was so weird.
3: And she didn't seem very surprised. Well, perhaps that's in keeping with her character. She doesn't seem surprised by much. And uh, I don't know how much of that is related to her being this cold clinician who just coolly observes everything around her. We've already discussed the possibility of her being a psychopath. You said the oddest thing was the, the girl in the compartment? yes. Yes, that was very odd. Uh, Very odd that someone who can do brain surgery would not know... What Dexter immediately knew, stuffing her in, the, in that little locker would compress the wound and prevent her from bleeding out. But what I, th- what I thought was the oddest, or perhaps the most comical thing, was that this person who can do brain surgery has helpful little diagrams. He needs those to tell him what to do.
2: <laughs> He's been doing his study. You know, just like Quinn has to study for the sergeant's exam, the brain surgeon had to study before he could, you know, make the proper incisions and learn what he needed to do.
3: Yeah. It's very easy to learn
2: how to do all that. I wonder if he had to pass any sort of exam. I don't know.
0: (laughs) I read one review that said, like, that might be, like, he might be researching, like, what sort of side effects he may be going through due to the surgery that Vogel instructed uh, doctors to perform on him. But, like, at the same time, it was, you know, like, it's just so... It it just didn't look anything like that. It just looked like uh, instructions for cutting someone's head open, and I I don't know.
3: I don't really have much else to say about Yates, except that, uh, well, the comment that he made. It looks like Vogel has found her hero. I found that interesting. That was one of the more interesting pieces of dialogue, or clues, should I say, to the puzzle that is Vogel and why she is here. Oh, the nursing home.
0: Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. I just thought of that, too.
3: Yeah, okay, so what do you want to say about that?
0: Um, I I was shocked by the fact that he pulled the plug on his dad, but, you know, it was just I, I I know I'm like saying the words weird weird and bizarre a lot, but like if he was so worried about his dad, like I get the point they're trying to make. This is what a real psychopath looks like. He will sacrifice the people he loves merely to get away. But it was still so it was rushed. It was a really quick scene, and it was a really bizarre scene. And it was just I I I didn't know how to feel about it. I don't even know if it's a good or a bad scene. I was just it just left me feeling very confused and very uh, emotionally distraught.
3: Yeah, I don't know if they did that to show Yates is saying, hey, this is what a real psychopath looks like, to to further emphasize that Dexter does not fit the true psychopath. He's not the textbook psychopath. Or if it was, you know, all about, you know, he's apparently, he seems to love his father and he seems devoted to him, but he's completely willing to sacrifice his father for self-preservation. And Dexter says that he would never do that. But I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's done that throughout the series, just not physically.
2: Well, it's, it's interesting you say that you think it might have been meant to draw attention to Yates as like, oh, this is what a, a real psychopath looks like. Because I actually felt like everything with the nursing home made Yates seem less like A pure psychopath. I mean, he clearly does have an emotional attachment to his father. He's got all that stuff with his father in the house, all the pictures. uh, And here he actually bothers to show up to the nursing home when he hears there might be a problem. I was just thinking to myself, if this guy is really some super twisted psycho some big bad someone who really has things figured out i mean would he really have that type of connection with his father and why would he bother to even show up i mean is this really the same guy that we saw coercing what's his name into killing people Sussman or something who who later was hung nothing i see in yates would indicate to me that he is that guy
3: well, one thing um, it ties into what Vogel tries to get Dexter to believe that his feelings for Deborah, you know, are a construct. You know, that they they're delusional. That Deborah has always been a prop for him. And then when he refutes that, she she then claims that Deborah has served as a mirror to his darkness. And now that that mirror's cracked and, you know, there are other terms for that, shadow selves and lighter selves. And, but I don't know if it was tied into that, but if if he or if he's another perhaps, I don't want to say botched experiment, but if he's another variation of Dexter, whereby Vogel has tried to create a true psychopath, but he's not because he is able to create these bonds. But if he truly did care about his father, I mean, he did try to kill him, unless he knew that his father would be saved.
2: Yeah, it's just really, really weird. Maybe he was just counting on the fact that as Subject Zero or the hero or whatever that Dexter would save him.
0: And we don't ever find out if he lives or dies. I know that the show's focusing on the fact that he's willing to risk it. It doesn't matter if he does live or die really because like we don't really we're not invested to his father but like the whole fact is that he pulled that risk and the fact that he took that risk makes him psychotic it it just seemed like a idea that they just kind of like threw in and they didn't really know what they were trying to say or at least i didn't get what they were trying to say out of that scene
3: i think the the conclusion that dexter drew from that is that huh, I thought that his father was so important to him, and that's why he drew him there to the first place. He was shocked that Yates was willing to do that, and then he had the epiphany, well, I would never do that, therefore I am different. So it seemed like a very elaborate way of getting Dexter to this point. I don't know, there are multiple epiphanies in this episode that were achieved far too quickly i thought mm-hmm. i feel embarrassed now because i had told andrew oh this is written by tim schlotman i like his episodes usually and i and i saw this and from the very beginning with the with the jump that i really did not like because i was last week i was very Kind of excited to see, oh gosh, when Deborah wakes up handcuffed to that sofa and with this complete stranger, and she's going to be furious. And I kind of wanted to see, not that I wanted to see more of Deborah's spiral, but I at least wanted to see the very first introduction between the two of them and how Vogel would even convince her to s- submit to this therapy and <laughs> move in with her.
2: I agree with you. That's the, a really, really awkward part of this episode. Before we really dive into that, though, I want to bring up our, our the last little subplot that was introduced in this episode. And it's one of the few parts of this episode I actually really liked, and that is the stuff with Masuka, where he finds out that he might have a daughter. It's just so goofy, but also so refreshing to see them actually doing something with Masuka and it does seem kind of logical well yeah Masuka's such a weird pervy guy of course he would probably have a daughter that he doesn't know about and i i, I he's probably joked at some point throughout these 8 seasons that he might have children that He doesn't know about. And here we see that, yeah, he he does. And I, I, I just love their meeting and the fact that he's initially this creepy pervert, and then they have the same exact laugh. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was just a nice little bit of levity from everything else going on in this episode. And it's, it was one of the few cases where it seemed like that the writers were actually trying to move something forward in an interesting way.
3: And I liked that they, they did that. They, they gave him a daughter rather than giving him a romantic relationship, which, you know, is always tenuous, but giving, Masuka, something that we never expected to see and uh, could be a real tender relationship. Hopefully, a functional one. It called back to Masuka keeping frozen sperm in his refrigerator and talking about how much he donated sperm, I believe he even said in college, but I know that he's remarked in the past about how often he's done that. And I think it was to Deborah, and and then Deborah's completely grossed out by the fact that there's little Masuka children running around.
2: (laughs) I think it would be really interesting if, over the course of the next eight episodes or however many are left, if. Suddenly, by the end of the series, Masuka is, like, this really kind of professional, straight-edged guy who no longer says anything sexist about women because
0: now he has a daughter. <laughs> and that completely changes his outlook. That definitely would be interesting. It still was a little weird to me. I do think it's one of the more enjoyable Things that happened in this episode, um, and I do think it's an interesting contrast between, like, in terms of parental uh, uh, figures, it's an interesting uh, contrast between Vogel and Dexter with Masuka and this, uh, this woman. Their laugh was... Certainly very creepy. It I didn't really work for me comedically. It just kind of made me uncomfortable, but maybe I'm just being too harsh. I don't know. I mean, I, it's definitely better than a lot of the other scenes that were in this episode. So,
2: Oh, I thought that was hilarious. Just because it makes no sense. Like, I'm pretty sure laughs are not genetic. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just such a goofy little, little twist there. Um, is there anything else either of you want to say about Masuka before
0: we move on to our main topic you've made me appreciate this subplot a little bit more and yeah you're right the rest of the stuff is just pretty grim and melodramatic in ways that strain credibility so and confusing yeah. um
2: <laughs> let's move on to everything with Deborah. that should probably be our main and final topic of this episode
1: i want you to convince me how killing dexter instead of Aguerta would be a better choice open the f-ing door the Guerta. She was on her knees, where those bloodstains are, isn't that right? She was your co-worker, your friend. Why didn't you just stay at the party and let Dexter take care of everything? I had to stop him. But Dexter can't help what he is. He has no conscience, unlike you. You knew the moment you pointed that gun at La Guerta, it was wrong. And still... You pulled the trigger. You shot a woman in cold blood. You let her bleed out and did nothing. You shot an innocent woman for simply doing her job. Because of Dexter? And that's what terrifies you the most. You so desperately want to believe that if you had just shot Dexter, then you wouldn't have to face the hard truth, that if you had to do it all over again, you'd still choose him. Because in your heart, you know you'll always choose Dexter.
2: Rachel, you're totally right. Everything with Deb in this episode just felt really out of place. The fact that it's suddenly a week later just fundamentally cripples this episode, in my opinion. Because I was immediately confused as to... When is this taking place? Does Deb like Vogel? Is she volunteering for therapy? Is Vogel manipulating her? Are they living together? Why is she no longer handcuffed? What is the situation here? Because when we last saw Deb at the end of episode three, she had made up her mind. She was going to go confess. She was pretty hysterical. And it seemed like there was nothing anyone could do to talk her out of it. And to start off this episode with suddenly now she's fine and she no longer really feels driven to confess, it just felt really out of place to me. And it seemed to me like this episode as a whole was kind of meaningless because this episode sort of ends the same way the last episode did with Deb having some sort of epiphany and realizing she needs to do something to appease her conscience. Uh, sure, there's are slightly different things in the two episodes, but structurally, they're pretty much the same. And it just felt really kind of redundant to me.
3: I thought it was very different. A different kind of epiphany. I don't think that there was no point to this episode. I think that there is actually a pretty important point to this episode.
2: Well, episode three ended with her realizing I can't live in denial anymore, I need to accept what has happened, and confess my crimes, and this episode ended with the realization that, yeah, you're right, I can't keep going on with this, except maybe it's not really my fault, and maybe I didn't have a choice to kill LaGuerta, but like Harry, I'm still somewhat responsible for Dexter... So we're both guilty, and we should both be punished. I mean, it, it's a little bit different, you know, in, in this episode. She's actually trying to kill Dexter and herself, as opposed to just confess and send them to prison. But it still seemed kind of, kind of similar to me. But she says
0: him. Their relationship is just getting so tiring and redundant and like I don't know I just I'm getting so fed up with it it's I, I get it that like you know she's like okay I'm not dead if I'm alive though I can't live without Dexter and I have to go save him and the and, and another thing like the guy just goes in and saves the person in the passenger seat but not the driver's seat was really weird to me that whole sequence was just I feel like if it cut off and it was a cliffhanger of the car just going into the lake it would have kept me a lot more intrigued for next week's episode and instead they i I feel like they butchered that and it's just this whole relationship is just the same type of argument happening over and over and over again and deb consistently knows what this relationship is doing to her and how it's damaging her and yet she keeps screwing herself over because of the love of her brother and to just see it handled in this clunky fashion is just very frustrating for me
3: It, it was clunky. I agree. And the need to wrap this up in, in one episode. I think if it had been written better, I could have bought it. But opening the episode with Deborah reliving her fantasy. So she's been clinging to that belief that she made the wrong choice. She should have shot Dexter. She thinks that, you know, Vogel convinced, is trying to convince her that if faced with the same choice, you would still make the same choice. You would save Dexter. You will always save Dexter. But she can't live without Dexters. And she can't live with herself. So because she mm-hmm. survived, she had to save him. Now, what that means for the next episode, I, I don't know if this means that Deborah has hit rock bottom, as Vogel predicted, that she would. And I don't know what that means for Dexter, if Dexter will accept that you know, this was a turning point for their relationship, and they can mend it, or if if now he's going to be furious with her, I really don't want to see them in some sort of bizarre couples therapy with Vogel, of all people, who is just the master puppeteer behind it. She's manipulating them so much, and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't watch the next on Dexter, I kind of turn it off, because it usually spoils everything, so... Mm -hmm. And another thing I was wondering is like, are they presenting this scenario in episode four? Because this has been speculate. You know, everyone is speculating on how it will end, and this is one of the popular theories that it will end in murder suicide. So I don't know if they put that in episode four to say, okay, we're throwing the scenario out, much in the way like Lost did in season or whatever throughout the purgatory theory. You know, just yeah. You know. Or if they're saying maybe this will be a possible ending, except Deborah will get it right next time. I, I don't know.
2: I don't know. All I can say is that there is a part of me that hopes the next episode suddenly takes place a week later and they never mention it <laughs> again. <laughs> because it just it just felt so awkward to me. The the structure of this episode just fundamentally Cripples it in in almost every way. There's no through line here from Deb deciding to confess to Deb deciding not to confess, but instead to attempt this murder-suicide. And it just all felt so out of place and flat to me. And yes, by the end of this episode, Deb has realized she could never kill Dexter, But I feel like she already knew that to a certain extent. She made her choice to choose Dexter over LaGuerta. She knows that that was her decision. And it just feels very repetitive to me. And if she really loves Dexter that much, I don't understand why they wouldn't follow up on that idea that maybe she would confess to rid herself of the guilt, but not turn in Dexter, or, or or something like that. Everything here was so clunky. I'm kind of doubtful that anything they do in the next episode could save this, honestly.
0: Andrew, last week you brought up a lot of interesting possibilities like, oh well, Vogel took the notepad that Deb wrote down all of her confessions on, and could Quinn notice that? Do you think Quinn will get suspicious? And, you know, just by jumping a week ahead, they You know, they're just like, nope, forget all that. You know, it just feels cheap and it feels like they're taking shortcuts to get to emotionally dramatic places where they're kind of cheating and they're kind of just, you know, we're going to skip all of the necessary groundwork in order to get to, you know, climactic sequences with these characters. But without those steps to uh, follow them along. that There's no tension there. There's no credibility or plausibility. Uh, you don't know really what's going on. Also, I uh, wanted to talk about the very first scene where Deb imagines that she shoots Dexter instead of LaGuerta. Uh, I believe it was in the AV Club's review where they stated, wouldn't that have been a great way to just end the show? That Deb has to shoot Dexter and then that could be, like, the series finale. And I thought, huh, you know, like, it might have been a better ending than the one we're about to get if all the episodes uh, are going to continue down a route similar to this episode, because I feel like that could have been a really uh, emotionally devastating way to conclude this series, and if each episode continues to be written in this confused manner, uh, I seriously worry about how satisfying the ending to this show will be this episode almost
2: feels like they want to just pretend the last 10 to 15 minutes of episode three never happened. It's almost like this alternate timeline where instead of deciding to go confess, Deb decided to go to Dr. Vogel for therapy. And Dr. Vogel told her, told her everything about Dexter and how she's his spiritual mother and is helping Deb work through her issues. But it, does not line up at all with the episode three that we got yeah charlie i agree with you having deb kill dexter would have been a really great way to end the series but they again so many problems in this show stem from the fact that showtime extended this series for way longer than it needed to be and that's just one of several
3: yeah i i don't know if i want that ending though The ending I've always wanted is that Dexter will do something completely selfless. And since his closest relationship has always been to Deb and they've been so important in each other's lives, I've I've always hoped that he would sacrifice himself for her in some way. But he did! He
2: did? Well, he offered to, at least, at the end of Season (laughs) 7. He was kind
0: of like, yeah, Deb, shoot me, not LaGuerta, you caught me. He threw down the knife and said, do what you need to do. Do what you got
3: to do, which is exactly what Hannah said to him. And then they had sex on the table. I think he deliberately parroted Hannah's phrase to her because, and I think he knew he knows Deborah well enough to know that she would not shoot him. And, and this is a discussion we had in our, our group because uh, um, one of our friends and listeners, Amy, said the exact same thing that you did, Andrew, that she pointed that out. She's like, I thought that was a selfless act. And I said, no, I, I think Dexter knows Deborah well enough to know that she would not shoot him then. I don't think he was manipulating her into shooting LaGuerta. I think, he, if anything, he expected her to drop the gun and kind of let him take care of the situation.
2: If, if that's the case, and that was really just a form of manipulation by Dexter, What is a selfless act that he could take at this point? It seems to me the only way we could be absolutely sure it was a selfless act is if, instead of having Deb confess, Dexter's actually the one that ultimately decides to confess and sacrifice himself to the system that he's been working eight seasons to kind of undermine, and in doing so, save Deb. That's the only thing i can think of that that might seem truly selfless if his offer at the end of season seven wasn't entirely selfless
3: but i don't even know if that's selfless because for one thing he would have to do that in a way that would not implicate deb's being a co-conspirator with him it's also again the the main problem that I have with the character of Dexter is the psychological trauma that he inflicts on those in his orbit. So if he is then exp- this is the <laughs> my quandary with do I want Dexter to be exposed uh, so that everyone can be validated and. You know, certain people have been framed as the Bay Harbor Butcher or framing him for being the Bay Harbor Butcher will be exonerated because we, we had that scene in the season four finale with um, Arthur Mitchell, Trinity's family being escorted to the police. And, you know, they're just completely traumatized by learning that, you know, their father husband is this horrific serial killer. Yeah, that was one of the main, I had a problem with that dokes and I'm not a dokes fan at all, but I felt sorry, very sorry for everyone who worked with him and cared about him and his family, like suddenly thinking that this person is this horrible butcher, this serial killer. So do I want Harrison to know that? Do I want Cody and Astor to know that? Do I want, you know, the people who worked uh, with him in homicide for so long to realize that they're complete morons or to think that? Or do I want Dexter to just die or disappear, not be exposed, but at least be removed from, you know, not being able to cause any further damage to the people who have cared about him and supported him? I'm not sure.
2: I don't know. I don't know. But all I know for sure is that after this episode, I'm just wondering, will this be on the local news? (laughs) Will there be a a 5 o'clock feature about the uh, local hero who saves a woman from a car in the lake? And will this suddenly snowball into something Deb and Dexter can't really control? Or will they just ignore it?
3: Well... Maybe that's why they had Jamie have car problems so that she could take Dexter's SUV and Dexter said, I'll get a car out of the motor pool, which I was like, okay, why is this tiny little thing being mentioned? Yeah. We've established that when they check cars out of the motor pool, they don't keep records. And that's why Dexter has been able to do that to use a car out of the motor pool to in his killings. Cause I was like, why is he using, you know, the police department? impounded cars there are records and then that was actually brought up as a point we don't keep records there are own people checking out cars why would we keep records on them so if they do find well they will uh, find this car then i'm assuming that they won't have any way to trace it back to deborah and
2: dexter that's a good point i had forgotten all about that all right is there anything else that either of you have to say about this stuff with deb or this episode of dexter as a whole?
0: I was wondering if you thought there might be any possibility, and I'm not even sure if this would be a good plot development or just a really crazy, stupid one, but do you guys think there's any possibility that Vogel and AJ are in cahoots with one another and uh, that there's a slight possibility that Vogel killed Harry instead of Harry committing suicide?
2: I think that that last part might be true, as for the stuff about Yates and Vogel being in cahoots, I got the impression that Yates was kind of surprised when he heard Vogel's voice oh, yeah. on the speakerphone. Yeah, you're right. So I got the impression that maybe he knows a little bit more about her and what she's planning, but not that they're working together.
3: I don't know. I, I thought his, his hero comment was very odd. Again, when Dexter... Goes down there and discovers the lab. And then when Vogel shows up, and it just seemed so, so contrived and so set up to be some sort of trap or another experiment. Um, and I wondered, I, you know, I too wondered, did Vogel kill Harry? Has Vogel been experimenting on the Dexter, I mean, excuse me, on the Morgan family in general? You know, did she manipulate Harry into doing this? I've always found it odd that she never met Dexter, and we only have her word that the reason she never met him is because Harry didn't want them to meet. That's completely baffling to me. How could you not meet a patient, especially a patient that you're sculpting into being a serial killer? Um, you're just going to pass along these rules, and I think she's clearly manipulating, In my opinion, is that she's clearly manipulating Deb. If she knows anything more about Dexter's personal life, which I th- I think it's Pointed this out before. I think it's very odd that Harrison has never come up or Rita, any of these other personal connections that he's made, especially Harrison. And how does Fogel not know about that? I do think she knows a lot more than she's letting on, especially if she's still taking notes on Dexter and he seems to be very important in this research or this experiment of hers. I think she knows quite a bit and it's interesting that a lot of the serial killers or killers in general that Dexter has encountered, have a, tried to, or in some cases successfully eliminated, these people important to him. The ice truck killer tried to kill Deb, or tried to get Dexter to kill Deborah. Maybe that was the first test. You know, could Dexter kill his sister? And I don't know. I I feel like this episode is trying to... Well, all of these episodes, there have been a lot of callbacks to... Earlier seasons, which is common in the, in the last season of a series, they will try to kind of go back to the origin and a lot of times reframe it if you're talking about a show about change, you know, or maybe there is no change, which is what Dr. Vogel seems to be arguing. And I don't know if they're going to end on an ambiguous note, but uh, Tim Schlotman wrote the episode called the, Doc- the Dark Defender in season two. And this was when the whole Bay Harper Butcher case was exposed. And the first episode of that season was called It's Alive. So the whole theme of Frankenstein has been weaving in and out of this series. And Dexter being Frankenstein's monster. And who is Frankenstein? It was Harry. But now it seems to be Vogel. And then Deborah feels like she's Frankenstein. And in the dark defender dexter refuted that because the city seemed to be embracing this vigilante killer and and then he went he goes into this comic book shop and sees that there are, there's artwork of the dark defender and he imagines himself as this you know really dark they actually modeled it after the punisher so he Then goes back to the shipping container in his mind and he saves his mother and he's the dark defender. And so there are all these elements of that episode that turn up in this episode. And we keep going back to the dark, to the shipping container. All of the Morgans have now been there and all of their lives have been changed dramatically by being in there. I feel like there were a lot of iconic elements that were pulled into this episode. I want to have a lot more faith in Tim Schlaven and, and, and in the writers, but I don't know if they were deliberately baffling because I think that in this, I, my hopes for the, pa- this last season is that it's, we're not going to get writing like this. We're not going to get like season six writing. And I, I was really taken aback by this episode and I want to have faith and hope that this makes more sense. And I still don't like the fact that they, They decided to sacrifice the initial confrontation with Deborah and Vogel. And maybe this is nice. Maybe for once they're assuming the audience is smart enough that Vogel's character has been established to be so convincing and so manipulative. And look how easy she she turned Dexter around into trusting her. So we just kind of have to take it on faith. Like, do we really need to see a repeat of... A scene with her and Dexter when she when he is completely opposed to her, he doesn't trust her, he doesn't want anything to do with her, and then by the end of the episode, they have the creepy hug.
2: I mean, I, I I think this episode probably would have worked a lot better and been a lot more convincing if this had been episode five instead of episode four, and we had an episode in between Deb's confession and her decision to drive the car into a lake where she kind of learned about Vogel and had her reach her own epiphanies about Vogel and 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 what was going on and what she might need to do. If there was a little bit more of a through line and a little bit more time spent developing that, I who knows, maybe this episode would have worked, but as it stands, coming right after that confession, I it just it just didn't work at all for me. I I do think you brought up some really great points about Dexter and the the Dark Defender and this Frankenstein monster stuff one interesting thing about this episode is that Dexter does realize Vogel is manipulating him to a certain degree and he does tell her that you know once he solves everything with the brain surgeon he's done with her so it'll be interesting to see if that actually pays off I have a feeling it won't (laughs) and that he won't actually just leave her but he no longer seems to be entirely under her thumb
3: I think he will, if only for the nice parallel of it's brought up again that Harry ended his life because of Dexter and, you know, because he created Dexter. And so in a way, you know, Deborah blames Dexter for that. And at the time when Dexter found out about that, he certainly blamed himself before he realized that, you know, Harry was truly abusing him. In a way we have Dexter has killed one parent and one creator of his, so I think it would be it's kind of a nice tie in for him to kill his other creator.
2: Oh, I I'm sure that was probably what will end up happening. I'm just saying, uh, you know, Dexter says he's gonna be done with Vogel once he finishes his stuff with the brain surgeon. I have a feeling he might learn some more information or have some other epiphany that prevents him from just cutting Vogel off and dropping out of her life.
0: Especially after what just happened. I mean, he needs to talk to somebody about that. Who else is he going to talk to?
3: Yeah, and no use crying over spilt milk, but I really would have liked to have seen seen a scene. I really would have liked if they had given us a scene parallel to... The way Vogel won Dexter over because, you know, we had talked about how Dexter has been searching for a mother figure throughout his life. Well, so has Deborah. Although Deborah's issues have always seemed to focus on Harry, you know, Deborah too lost her mother uh, at a very young age and really didn't have another parental figure because he was preoccupied with Dexter and both of them were keeping secrets so Deborah has always blamed that on herself. You know, like my father not only favored Dexter over me, but clearly loved him more than me. And, you know, that's what set her on this whole path to be a cop like her dad, but be a better cop like her dad. And I don't think we talked about this. You know, her conversation with Elway when they were talking about their daddy issues. And, you know, Elway had said that, uh, well, Elway rebelled against his father, but he brought up this point, you know, like we always want to surpass our parents, which, you know, is kind of true. So I think that kind of set Deborah up for, you know, wanting to be better, wanting to do what Harry couldn't do. And we keep bringing in these characters like who seem kind of harmless or helpful or interested in Deborah and Dexter. We have Elway and now this new person, Cassidy, or Cassie, excuse me. Like, why are they bringing all these people in?
0: Yeah, especially since it's the final season and you'd think that the plot will get tighter and they'd get more confident in knowing how to end it. And it just seems like they still don't know what they're doing, which really worries me.
2: I I like how you brought up that stuff about Elway and his father issues, because we saw that last episode, too, where the stuff with Elway and their stakeout with that woman who was having an affair is what ultimately contributed to Deb's decision to confess. So at least with the Elway stuff, that subplot has consistently contributed to the overall themes or the overall thrust of the narrative but not much more than that yet and it'll be interesting to see how much this new cassie character affects things you know will she be a new game-changing element or will this just be sort of like a filler relationship while they slowly drive towards the end of the series i you know
3: I don't know. I don't see them bringing that in. I, I, I think maybe she's tied in with Hannah some way, or Elway is, or maybe they're all tied in with Vogel. It just, it just seems odd to me. You know, we always have Elway giving her beverages, and this time she turns it down. But she did have a, a beverage from Vogel, and it just seems like every time, Deborah drinks something that someone has given her. She does something drastic. She supposedly kills El Sapo, or she goes into the police station strung out, whereas hours earlier she was completely fine, and she wants to confess, and now she tries to commit murder-suicide. But perhaps I'm just reading too much into everything, or or maybe trying to make sense of everything, and how dare I do that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you bring up a really good point, though, about how, like, Deb's whole perspective on her father has now changed. You know, she thought this whole time that Harry loved Dexter more and while he did for, he might've loved Dexter more for a time and spent more time with him than with her. That whole perspective from her childhood is now completely changed and they didn't really dive deep into her psyche or they didn't really explore that, that epiphany in any sort of, emotionally compelling way in fact it, she, her reaction to it isn't even like that interesting it's just kind of like oh so i'm supposed to live with that and then it goes to the murder-suicide thing and you analyzing that background is uh much more compelling than what they decided to do in the, in this episode you know that's a huge arc for this character and it just feels like they've kind of wasted that opportunity
3: and that's another reason why I would have liked to have seen, seen a scene, I did it again, um, <laughs> a scene parallel to, to Vogel bonding with Dexter as a maternal figure, because, you know, Deborah has always lacked a mother figure. And I think we could have established this rapport between the two of them. This Deborah doesn't necessarily really trust Vogel, but she must trust her to some extent to be letting her... To be living with her and doing all these things that she is doing, I think it could have been done quite quickly. And that process took a, over the course of an episode for Dexter to trust Vogel. And that, since we've already established that, you know, Dexter has always been searching for a maternal figure, and so that's Vogel, of course, is extremely persuasive, we wouldn't have needed that much to establish that kind of dynamic between Vogel and Deborah. Not that she would become as dependent on Vogel as Dexter initially was with Vogel, but they wanted so badly to frame, to bookend this episode with Deborah stubbornly clinging on to the fact that, or to the idea that she made the wrong decision. And if she had to do it over again, she would make the right choice only to end with her making that same choice over again. And reinforcing what Vogel has told her. I have so many fears about robbing people of agency and responsibility, and now it seems they are, they're trying to, well, she, Vogel has already taken away Dexter's agency because now he's off doing these killings, not out of a compulsion or a need or for any personal reason of his own, except, you know, like he seems to think that the brain surgeon knows who he is, but that doesn't really seem to be driving this. He's just her errand boy. And I really hope that the end of the series does not absolve Harry or Dexter. I kind of want to, in- I should include Deborah in that, but I'm I'm just so sympathetic towards her. You know, of the choices they've made throughout their lives. Even though Dexter was horribly abused and certainly mistreated by Harry and Vogel. Uh, And I don't think that uh, I don't want to see him come out of this and, you know, sail off to Argentina with Hannah or Deb or I'm always more interested in consequences of your actions and find it more fulfilling if a show is willing to to make characters face up to the choices that they've made and accept responsibility for it. Since it's such a hard thing to do in real life, you know, I, I at least want to see that in my art sometimes.
2: Well, that's why we should all be writing Dexter. I don't know why they didn't hire us, because clearly we've got a lot of better ideas than what was on display in this episode. Um, Is Anything else either of you would like to say about this episode?
3: Can I just say that the driving scene was so bizarrely bad, badly shot? You know, we've had plenty of instances with characters driving in a car, but this was like, does anyone remember Toontz's from Saturday Night Live, The Driving Cat, or something? I mean, just picture a horrible green screen effect behind you. And <laughs> going back to Hitchcock, even, where he deliberately made it, obviously, green screen, or maybe it was blue screen back then. But, you know, he wanted that artificiality, this, that or that artifice in there. So I thought that was very odd.
2: Yeah, that is kind of strange. I didn't notice it particularly, but it could have just been because I was... Just wondering what they were
0: doing and where this was going. Yeah, I'm I agree with you, Andrew. And I was just like, Oh, Deb's hair is straight. I guess she feels better. I don't know. <laughs> and there was that really <laughs> bizarre shot of like her in slow motion just staring at Dexter, and it was just it was just so strange and I, I couldn't tell if it was menacing or if it was genuine, and I was just like aware the the tone of this episode was so jarring. I couldn't even like yeah, I wasn't even like paying attention to the way certain things were shot and uh what or how certain scenes were composed because i was just so lost i think it's fair to say that
2: this episode drove the season into a lake boom uh (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) it made me laugh are you saying are you saying that you suffered
0: tonal whiplash charlie yes no that is that is a very accurate way of stating how i feel (laughs) right now
3: can i ask one last question about the ending
0: absolutely sure
3: do you think that uh, other than the the practical reason of not leaving it as a cliffhanger and wanting to show that Deborah will in fact save Dexter you know she'll dive back in there and save him was that a Friday the 13th homage since we've had this this sort of horror theme throughout the season um, throughout the series but certainly I've seen a lot of and I'm not a horror movie or slasher movie aficionado. So I don't really know that much about it. But I do seem to remember that shot of it's kind of an iconic shot of coming up out of the lake when you think that they're dead. Or do you think it was possibly a, a baptism reference?
2: That's an interesting point. I, I hadn't thought about that. But you're right. That could very well be a Friday the 13th reference. Because doesn't it end where, don't they, like, freeze the shot for a, for a few frames? Yeah. Or for a few seconds? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how Friday the 13th ends as well. Uh, so, so, you're right, that could be a reference. I'm just glad that they showed that and didn't end it on a cliffhanger. Because, obviously, we know Dexter's not going to die in episode 4 of season 8. So, if they, if they had left Deb rescuing him to the next episode, it just would have seemed really pointless.
3: No, well, there could have been uh, the very convenient stranger uh, could have dove back in and saved Dexter, and then you could have had, oh, damn, well, Deborah did try to kill him, but she didn't succeed because of this very, you know, annoying person who just happened to be there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I think that would have been a much better uh, way to end it, because the feeling that the episode left me with was just frustration because of how redundant their relationship has become.
3: And then we could have every episode of season eight ending with Deborah trying to unsuccessfully kill
2: Dexter. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I guess, I guess you're right.
3: I, I don't know if I like the, yeah, i So often when I see characters uh, going into water and coming back up, I always think of rebirth and, and, you know, I'm wondering if the characters are going to suddenly change next episode. Like you had suggested, you know, will Dexter be furious with Deborah? Will he completely turn around? Will he go dark?
2: Well, if the writing of next episode is anything like the writing in this episode, he'll probably have amnesia and won't be able to remember what happened. (laughs) And it'll be really convenient, and they'll never bring it up again. The
0: the season's so keen on what constitutes a psychopath. I'd prefer to see an episode just, like, go off the rails and just have everyone go crazy and psychotic, uh, as opposed to watching something like this where we don't know anything that's going on. If it just—I don't know. Like, I just feel like everyone could go crazy on this show at this point. But it would be a (laughs) lot more entertaining if they did, as opposed to just— being in this weird altered state of season eight that they've somehow walked into. All
2: right. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode of Avenging Angels. We would love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at Avenging Angels at radio.com or comment on the website at FilmGeekRadio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes, so if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the program. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. Don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, The Thin Place, and our weekly show all about the HBO series, The Newsroom, Navigating the Newsroom. Rachel, it's been a pleasure having you on this episode. You've brought up some really good points. Uh, where can people find more of you online? Thank you.
3: I, I had a blast recording with you guys. Um, you can find the DexterCast at thedextercast.com. We also have a Facebook group uh, to search for the DexterCast. And we have a a separate spoilers group um, for people who want to discuss anything past the episode that we're currently doing in our rewatch, because we do have newbies that we do not want to spoil. So we're currently at the very beginning of season five, and I would love to get more people in that group so we could discuss eight, especially since I, I asked for feedback for this past episode, and normally we get... Uh, We have like five or six regular contributors or more, and only one person commented on it, and he only commented on the ending. So I enjoyed discussing this with you. I was so happy to find that both of you were as baffled and disappointed as I was.
2: Well, I I get the impression maybe your other regular contributors were were baffled as well, and maybe that's why they didn't give you any feedback. (laughs) They didn't know what to think.
3: I'm truly hoping that this will make sense. You know, they're going to tie all this together. And uh, I'm just surprised that this episode felt as bad as it did. And I, it's been a long time. There were a couple of, ep- you know, disappointing episodes in season seven. It certainly wasn't completely wonderful. But compared to season six, it was. But uh, I haven't felt this way since season six. You know, there were times when I wasn't even paying attention to what was on the screen. And then I'd look up and I'm like, oh, they're driving now.
2: Well, it was great having you on. You're welcome to come back anytime, especially if there's an episode of season eight in the future that you really enjoy and you'd like to talk about that. You're more than welcome to come back on the show. So I would encourage all of our listeners to go
0: check out the Dexter cast. Uh, Charlie, where can people find more of your work online? They can find my uh, you can find my um, articles that I've written for your magazine, Emerson, at issue. That's issuu.com slash your mag Emerson. You can also find me on Twitter at ctnash91. That's c-t-n-a-s-h-91.
2: You can find some of my writing at FilmGeekRadio.com and MovieMezzanine.com. You can also find me co-hosting several weekly podcasts at the moment at FilmGeekRadio.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at WriterAndrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Charlie Nash. And always be careful when you're driving around bodies of water